Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. Today, as my people would say, is Valentine's Day. So I wish you, Immigrant Nation, a happy Valentine's Day. No matter your relationship situation might be, may you have been married for 100 years, newly dating, even if you are single. I hope you enjoy this day. I also want to thank you for listening every week and your continued support, as always. And as a healthy reminder, if you haven't joined the Immigrant Nation officially, I implore you to go ahead and click the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can also join us by visiting our social media accounts. Our handle is at an immigrant's life. Also, if you or someone you know wants to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to our social media accounts, as I've mentioned just now, or email us at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. Let's connect and let's tell your beautiful story. That's the biz. Now, let's talk about this week's episode. Am I enough? Our guest this week has been wrestling with this question despite all her successes. After all, she's been through so much traumatic situations, i.e. being sexually molested, joining a doomsday cult, being coerced to marry a man 17 years older than she was, and many more. If that's not enough to get you wanting to listen to this episode, I don't know what else. In any case, you know what we do here. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is an acting coach, an award-winning actress, and a filmmaker. She constantly breaks hearts wide open while creating infinite moments of joy. Everyone, please welcome Giovanni Espiritu. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Can I call you Gio or Giovanni or what? Yeah, you could call me Gio. When I was in the Philippines, like, it, you know, like how many ever years ago, they used to call me Job. <laughs> it's like the G-O-B. <laughs> Job, why Job? But that Gio makes is sense. Good. That yeah. makes sense. I, back in high school, I had a classmate. His name was Pierre Jean, like the French, you know? Yeah. The, the teachers used to call him Pierre. And we used to get mad. I'm like, I'll t- we'll tell the teacher, like, no, it's Pierre. Pierre Jean. What is it about Filipinos? I think it's all like actually a, like a colonization thing mm. where, where like my mom named me Giovanni, mm. but we have no Italians in our family. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I know, and it's, all, it's a masculine name too. Yeah. And so like it, growing up, like, and I didn't realize this uh, until I got older, but growing up, people used to treat me with so much respect in emails because it was Giovanni Espiritu. But then they would meet me in person and they're like, oh, you're an Asian woman. <laughs> <laughs> they're so disappointed. They're so disappointed. <laughs> they were thinking about like maybe like a six foot, like good looking dude. Italian you know? or Spanish guy. You know, you know and I- then you come up and you're like, I don't know what your height is, like maybe five I'm, one. I'm- 
I'm five one. I'm five one. How did I know? You know? <laughs> yeah, because we're Filipino. You, know? you walk in and like, wait, wait, no, are you yeah. the secretary? Are you like, no, exactly. no, no? Exactly. And it's like I I present well in emails and like I'm a ridiculous person in real life and I have a voice that's very high. So <laughs> the disconnect is so weird. You know? It is. It is weird, eh? Yeah. So. Even now, you still deal with that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, constant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's it's a very that's why a lot of my films are about like identity and like the different you know systems of bias that are out there because I have grown up and have seen like not only as an immigrant you know seeing how my family is treated hmm. and then seeing the discrepancy between like when people hear my name. And don't see what I look like to the way that they treat me in person, mm-hmm. you know. So that's why a lot of like my work as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, kind of revolves around those themes. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I, I look at your some film. We'll talk more about your film later. But okay. first, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you and if you want to promote anything, your film. Oh, cool. Um, so if you want to know more about me as a filmmaker, go to GiovanniEspiritu.com. That's G-I-O-V-A-N-N-I-E-E-S-P-I-R-I-T-U.com. My Instagram is at GeoSpirit and then the number two. And um, yeah, I have a film called Legacy that's going to be playing next week at the New Americans Museum in San Diego. And mm-hmm. if you want to see a horror film, like a really crazy campy horror film, You can go on Tubi, and uh, I'm in a film called Titanic 666. And, oh, if there are any fans of um, 911 Lone Star, I should be on this season in one of the episodes. I play, no Yeah, so I play Joni on that, and then I'm also a recurring role on Young Sheldon. So. Oh, sweet. I don't usually watch those shows, but, you know, to show some support, you know? I appreciate that. I would say go to Titanic 666 because that is more of like a supporting role. The other ones, I think in 911 Lone Star, I can't talk about it yet because the mm. episode's not out. Um, it's a fun one and it's like crazy. I don't, But I don't know how long I'm going to actually be featured on that because the scene was crazy. Um, and then in Young Sheldon, I'm just, I'm, I'm the nurse on there. So, you know, like I'm a recurring, but, you know, like it does, I don't have like a big arc. Mm. Yeah. Do you still get paid even if you get cut? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're there for the day. You just might not get residuals afterwards. So I still get paid for my ER stuff back in the day. That was my first role on ER. And I still get like checks for like two cents. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny because you, you get residual checks after the years and like it costs more to print the paper on these checks and for the postage than the actual check. So. Yeah, but I guess they have to do it because they gotta get charged. I don't know. Yeah, because it's you know, like as an actor, you know, you you get you have a union where it's like the SAG after where they make sure that if the producers sell it or continue to sell it, that you still get paid a little bit, you know, whatever your percentage was on that show. But where do they sell ER? Like I don't see them on cable anymore. Oh, you know what? Like sometimes I'll get checks uh, because it it like did like a replay on some network in the UK, you know what I mean? Like, 
or they re-up the deal. So it just, I don't know. I don't know where they sell it to. I'm just happy when I get the checks when I do, even if it's for two cents. <laughs> you know? like, I'm going to, I like, I was raised to be thankful for just like whatever, you know? And I think yeah. that is a very like immigrant thing, mm-hmm. especially if you come from like nothing. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah, the idea is, hey, we were poor before. You should be grateful that you have this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like super instilled and I'm trying to break out of that a little bit because, Mm. you know, like, like I am willing to do the grunt work (laughs) because like that is what was instilled in me for survival. But now I'm like trying to be like, what if I can just value myself? (laughs) Hey, that doesn't exist in Filipino culture. I know, but You cannot value yourself. It should like and like if like I have a kid and I want I want my kid to value themselves, you know, mm. so that when they go out into the workplace, they're not just like happy for like whatever handouts, which I still have. I still mm. am, you know, like I'm still like, oh, I'm so super grateful to have this job. Oh, my gosh, you can treat me like poop and I'm still going to be grateful. <laughs> you know, like I still have that in me. But like, when are we actually going to be like, no, I deserve to be treated better and I deserve to be ju- treated and equally paid as my Caucasian or male counterparts, mm. you know, because if we're doing the same amount of work, why not? Are you going to devalue me just because you can? So yeah. I'm like, I'm like trying to like teach myself actively to like value myself. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah. There's, the, the worst part is you're a mom, right? Like you have to, you have to tell your son, by the way, you need to value yourself while yourself is not, you're not valuing yourself. And you can only teach by example, right? Like, I can't be like, value yourself. Value yourself. (laughs) I can't do that. Like, you know, like you teach by like what you do. So I'm Mm. trying. I am trying. Definitely. Speaking of roots, where Mm. were you born? Tondo, Manila. Lugar ng matatapang. That's what they say. I don't feel very matatapang. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, because... (laughs) <laughs> because the the revolution started there. Okay. So what I know of Tondo, like, and this is from my family, is like, it's like super slums. And like, I was, yeah. <laughs> and I was born there to a barely 16-year-old, you know? Um, Whoa. Yeah. So that's where my family comes from. And the fact that my mom got out of that and my family got out of that and came here is Mm. a miracle in itself and Mm. that's why it's like always like be grateful for what you have (laughs) like if you were like in tondo you would probably be on the streets yeah you're probably pregnant i would probably join a gang (laughs) but you're not brave like you said i am not brave i'm trying to be more brave i'm trying to like be but i'm you know but i i would probably join a gang if i was in tondo um yeah like i probably would but my family came here as uh tnt you know mm-hmm. so for the people that doesn't know tnt means tago and tago meaning hide hide keep on hiding yeah keep on hiding so i think the story is is that you know i was in tondo until i was one my mom left when i was one because uh, i don't know what opportunity she had i should ask her mm. and then my grandfather my great-grandfather who had already like been petitioned by like one of his sons what passed away right Mm. in the united states and so my grandmother who i was staying with as a one-year-old in the philippines 
um, I guess they had some paperwork done where it looked like I was her child. And because her father was like, you know, we were, we were coming for the funeral, mm. you know, we got approved for the tourist visa. So me as a baby with my grandmother, but she actually in paperwork said that she was my mom, you know, <laughs> and then we came to the United States and then we stayed in my great grandmother's garage for wow. a very, very long time. Yeah. But it was Tago Tago until, until like my dad applied for stuff. And then later on, you know, we did the whole green card process and eventually mm. I became a citizen year, like nearly 20 years later. Wow. So. By the way, I got to give the cleverness to your people because they took the opportunity of someone passing and like, you know what? We have an opportunity here. Let's take it. Yeah. I don't know if that was the, the initial thought, especially, you know, like I was two, you know, like, I don't know. But and I, I didn't know that I was undocumented until I was a teenager. So. How did you find out? Um, You know, I had little inklings about it. Um. Because in grade school, they called me Anne. My name was Anne in grade school. So until about the fourth grade, I thought that my name was Anne Espiritu. Okay. And then uh, in the fourth grade, I found some paperwork. And I was like, very uh, like my name was Giovanni. And I was very adamant. I was like, I'm signing all my papers Giovanni now. <laughs> so that was like a little bit of the inkling. And then I would go to all of these like really boring interviews with my dad, you know, and I didn't know what that was for, but mm. it was for the green card process. Mm. So I didn't exactly know all these things when I was growing up, you know, like I had no idea. I didn't know what Tago Nantago was. I didn't know mm. about anything. I was just living my public school life. You know? mm. But yeah. did they ever tell you that, hey, you have to be careful, don't make too much trouble? Well, I was always a good kid. So mm. I don't think that my mom really had that, you know, had that fear with me. Because I was a pretty good kid. Mm -hmm. and then, like when I had my green card, then it really didn't matter. You know, and I think I got that when I was like 11 or 12. Hmm. I read that your parents divorced. Yeah. Hmm. And you ended up living with mom or dad or? So uh, when they divorced, uh, I think I was like six because it was like first grade, somewhere around there. Hmm. They split up and uh, my stepfather was, you know, like my mom, my mom had me when she was really young. So she was trying to grow up herself, you know, and she didn't hmm. quite know what to do and, and i'm sure that being a single mom at that time was really really difficult you know so i don't blame her well i do blame her a little bit but like i'm, I'm trying to find that forgiveness mm -hmm. you know um but the man that she ended up with my stepfather was abusive to me and i didn't even know what abusive meant because you know like if you if you live in certain families where violence is normalized then you don't know what to look out for. So hmm. when stuff happened with my stepdad and it came Sorry out, for cutting you off. What yeah, kind yeah. of stuff? Um so it it's a it was it was abuse disguised as games. Bro. Yeah, yeah. And when I got older and you know I started to go to, you know, sex education class in fifth grade and I was like, oh, this is weird, you know, like what is this? And then going into seventh grade where, you know, like sexuality is a little bit more burgeoning or whatever. 
and things started getting a little bit more um, inappropriate, like even more so. And I, you know, I couldn't take it anymore. So I, I let my uncle know. And then my uncle told my mom and she ended up staying with my stepfather because I think it was more of like the scaredness of not being financially sufficient. So she stayed with him and I ended up moving with my grandparents. She kicked you out? I mean, she wouldn't say kick me out, but basically that's kind of what happened. Like it was Mm -hmm. a choice between my stepfather or myself. And she thought that the safer option, this is the way she put it, was to live with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. So my grandma, who was my mom, you know, who, who brought me to the States, who I had lived with in the, you know, in the Philippines, for a year with my mom being in the United States, that's who I ended up with in, I think, eighth grade is when it happened. So, yeah, uh, so they stayed together for a while, <laughs> right? And then um, my grandfather, who is, so my grandmother, my biological grandmother remarried, right? Mm. And my grandfather, Jerry, who I consider my grandfather because I didn't know my real grandfather, um, he was awesome. And one of like the best guys that I knew, like he was the one that showed me like what it meant to be like a good guy, you know, hmm. he got sick and he had, he started getting like heart attacks and strokes and Girl. yeah. And in, in, in sophomore year, he had a stroke and then my mom suggested that we all move back to the Philippines because she said that the healthcare was better there. Right. So yeah, this is like how crazy it is. Right. So we moved back to the Philippines and, um, and I find out, and this is like two years of like awesomeness with my grandparents, right. From eighth grade to like sophomore year. Hmm. And I was like, yay, I finally feel safe, even though I'm sleeping on the living room in their one bedroom apartment, you know, like I finally feel safe, but you know, whatever. Hmm. Um, so we moved to the Philippines and I found out that my mom has another family there. But what is going on with this woman, man? Yeah, but see, like I think about it and like I love my mom, you know, like I love her and I understand like like looking back at it, like my mom had me when she was 16. Hmm. So, you know, at this time she was what, 28? As a child still. Yeah. And still trying to figure out what to do, having like two aging parents, you know what I mean? What is she going to do? And I, I, I think that, you know, during her business trips to the Philippines or whatever, she just struck up a relationship with somebody that made her feel good about herself. Yeah, because the guy that she's living with is a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like there are so many layers upon layers of things when I look back at things that I'm like, oh, I understand, but damn, when I was a kid, that hurt. Oh, (laughs) definitely. Um, But yeah, we moved to the Philippines and crazy stuff happened there. Like, you know, um, yeah, I don't know how much you know. You probably don't know anything about my background. But, But yeah, I joined... Are you familiar with the SDA church? No, what's SDA church? So Seventh-day Adventist church, that's like a mainstream religion, right? It's very, it was very like, it's very comparable to Iglesia and Cristo, right? Mm. With like the ferventness of it, except Seventh-day Adventists, they worship on Saturdays and they have a lot of end time prophecies, right? Mm. 
So, Who's their dude, by the way? Who's their main guy? So their main dude is Jesus. <laughs> no, well, you know. <laughs> but um, they like their their works or like their you know literature revolve around a lady named Ellen White, who is their prophet. Right. So she's yeah, like yeah. the pope. She, uh, she's kind of like a prophet that wrote a lot of stuff about the end times. You know, is a woman. They, yeah, she's a woman. Okay. Basically, um, in the Philippines, my 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 uncle and my grandmother got really involved with the SDA church and because I was looking for family because my you know like coming from the United States back to the mm. Philippines super culture shock culture change finding out that my mom has another family is mm. a super culture change I was like so searching for some kind of belonging and some kind of family where I could feel safe right mm -hmm. and so when we go sorry church, how old were you here Oh God! Uh, I want to say fourteen, fifteen. So still okay. sophomore. Oh yeah, you are lost. I am so lost, like so lost. And I remember like going to church and just feeling really like happy when I was singing in the choir, like mm. singing not in the choir, but like in the church choir, like you know. Yeah, like, that was, not like, every Filipino can sing, by the way. Not every. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am not a karaoke Filipino. Like I can't, you know what I mean? Like I can't do that. But like there was just like some kind of like like good feeling in my heart when I did that where I felt safe, you mm. know. And like my grandfather was there and then like he was a Buddhist, but he loved going to church because he loved singing the songs and so did mm. I. So I fell deep into like the youth group there, right? Because like like there was it was a whole bunch of like kids my age, teenagers my age that wanted to do good in the world. You know, I was like, of all the things, like, that's why I'm like, I joined a gang. I joined the God gang. <laughs> was so, this in Tondo? Where was this? No. So this, when we, when we moved back, um, we lived in first Makati. Hmm. And then when all this happened, you know, uh, and the, the youth group ended up being more radicalized. So, yeah. So it went crazy. <laughs> I joined a cult and it was crazy. Okay, <laughs> one minute, because cult is really normal in the Philippines, to be honest. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's so, very normal in the Philippines. So, so you're 15, mm -hmm. and obviously you have a leader, whoever that leader is. Well, you know, it was it was the church. Like I didn't really care about the leader. It was more about the youth group for me, you know. Okay. And it was more about like following the end time prophecies and like. You know, my uncle was very much into the, you know, the church and he was kind of like a preacher ish. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I had influences around me that were very like gung ho about God. Mm -hmm. And in you like you never know it's a cult when when it's a cult. No. <laughs> you know, like you you don't know. No, um, you don't know what you you don't know that you're in a well if you grew up in a well. Exactly. And you know, it was there. There was so much craziness happening around me that I was just like, "Oh no, it's the end times!" You know, like what kind of craziness? Well, like a couple of things. Like uh, uh, one of the one of the things was if you were a devout follower, right? There was a lot of talk about the the mainstream Seventh Day Adventist Church being apostate and like infiltrated by the new world order right there was a lot of that talk from the adults you know like mm. i'm trying to like think back at me as a, like a kid like think about this so everything like sounded very scary and 
uh, it was like, you can't be in like the main church because they are already, they've already been compromised. So this youth group moved into home churches and like in home churches, it's basically just a whole bunch of believers that get together in the home and they try to like dish out like what is happening in the end times, right? And like there are charts going around the room with like mathematical equations with like the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and like all these like biblical blah, 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 blah. But we still sang songs, which is amazing. (laughs) It's all about the songs for you. Yeah, it was all about the songs and and like being with, teens and kids my age that wanted to do good in the world. Mm. And part of it was like, you know, (sighs) learning survival skills for the end times. So, you know, like that's, that's, it started to get crazy there, you know, Mm. like the, the, there's something called the three angels message in the SCA church. And one of those angels messages is like the health message. So a lot of Seventh-day Adventists are vegetarian, but then like they took it to another step where it's like, no, we're going to the back to Eden diet where we're only eating fruits, you know? And then some of the church members would be like, oh, we're going to be even more fervent than you. We're just going to eat raw rice. Or Bro, these guys yeah, are crazy I told you, peeps. It, it, was, it was crazy. And like, you know, like I threw everything that made me me out. Like all of the songs, all the records, I threw it out like any you know, TV shows that were considered worldly. I didn't watch because we were all preparing for the end times. I didn't wear pants, you know, like, because uh, they said that if you wore something of another gender, then you were an abomination to the eyes of the Lord. Hmm. You know, I didn't cut my hair. I dressed, I didn't wear any makeup. I like, I, you know, like, because it was seen as vanity. Um, yeah, so just like a lot of stuff like and, and being 14 or 15 at the time, this is like super identity. Like I was like, ah, you know. Where was mom during this time? She was there. Oh my god. Yeah, my grandma was there. My uncle was there. They were all part of this. <laughs> you know. And then the inter- I I read I heard that you were living in the woods. Yeah, yeah. So my like and the interesting thing with the mom, my mom at this point is that she she didn't buy into the church thing. She didn't buy into like the home church thing. But I figure she had other stuff going on. You know what I mean? Like she had she had other things that she was probably dealing with. Like how do I put food on the table? You know, mm-hmm. or my child and my mother and my you know my stepfather grand you know my grandfather her stepfather. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I understand why she couldn't really. She, or she didn't, she didn't have the tools to even talk to me about these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Or maybe this, she was scared too. Yeah, or or she was scared too. And because she dressed in quote unquote worldly clothes, mm-hmm. like like a lot of like the talk was like, ah, who's that harlot, you know, <laughs> over there. Um, so she was very looked down upon and like ostracized from the church. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I was like, probably, yeah. That's good. <laughs> like so bad. Like I think about it and I feel so bad for not only my mom, but for myself at that time, because mm. I was just so angry with her, you mm. know, like for what had happened, for what was happening that I was like, yeah, look down on her, you know, and I feel really <laughs> badly about that, like as an adult looking back at this. But yeah, mm. 
So, um, you know, fast forward through that stuff. My grandfather died and that was really tough because he was like, you know, the, the one that like, I was like, ah, he's, he's a good guy. (laughs) Um, and so that was really tough. And we moved to a place called Basig where, um, and I don't know what was happening financially. I honestly don't like there was probably some kind of like crazy stuff happening financially there that my mom was trying to like put things together because the place that we moved into in Pasig, it wasn't even constructed. Hmm. Like there was one room, no, two rooms that were constructed. And then the rest of it was like shanties, right? Like that's, it was, it was, you know what I mean? Like it was like just two rooms that were like, okay constructed and then like exposed wires concrete rats and roaches everywhere Mm -hmm. and then like in the back of the house there was like my mom called them tenants but i don't know if they were tenants i don't know what they were but you know they had like pigs that were living underneath the 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 floor (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) wait did you ever go to your mom and say hey what are we doing here let's go back to the states well, I fell into a depression, hmm. you know, with all of that. And I, I, I'm probably sure that I attempted or threatened to kill myself at that time hmm. because I was very like, I cannot understand what's happening in the world and I can't see a way out from here. And why am I even here? It's better if I just, you know, like, hmm. I don't even know what I'm doing. So, you know, my mom said that she would send me back to the United States. So, mm. so I'm like, okay, cool. So I was probably 15 or 16 when I came back, right? Mm. But I was still part of the church. And uh, I eventually, the church brethren found me a job with a family in, um, in Oakhurst. And I don't want to necessarily say their names, but they were like, evidently, they were like in the home church type of thing, but they... They, they dressed like Mennonites and they, and this is like way back when, you know, so they were part of like this MLM situation, but they were part of the top of the MLM situation. So what's MLM? Um, what is it? They called like, you know, like the multi-level marketing. Oh, it's called, it's a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Well, kind of like, like basically they sell things and then you have salespeople that's your downline. Basically, they were two the, yeah, there were two people with the at the upline, and they were making like six figures each. You know, I remember. And then that. everyone's like, dying at the bottom. Kind of like, and and they sold this. And I don't even want to say this out loud because, like, I don't want to get in trouble. But they sold this supplement, right? That uh, that was part of the Three Angels Health Message, or could be construed as part of the Three Angels Health Message because it was like fruits and vegetables in a pill, right? So, and they, you know, the 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 guy that. The guy of this couple had a testimony because he got lost in the woods. And then, oh, yeah, like Oakhurst is by Yosemite. So it's like already in the woods. Right. Hmm. And then like he was nursed back to health by this one miracle supplement. Right. So like this is this is so crazy. It's so crazy. Right. Like This is a crazy story. So, um, yeah. So I went to go work for them. And this is like, you know, at 16 years old. <laughs> to do and what? So. I was thinking that I was just like, I am helping the brethren. I am helping the Lord with the three angels message. And like looking back, <laughs> like, I know they paid me 
$5 an hour for the, for the stuff that I did. I did everything from cleaning. I uh, helped administer diabetic medicine to their family. I babysat their nieces. I did office work. I helped them with whatever that they needed. I, and I was super happy because I was like, I'm helping God's work. You know what I mean? Like, it was just so messy. Oh, it was so messy. God. And there was like some kind of rumor where it was like, oh, these people, they have a slave living with them, right? Because they're, you know, obviously they were, not obviously, but they were white. They were well-to-do. They were like known in this, you know, whatever. I slept in the, so they had like a house that they rented for the brethren, for like, you know, the pa- the, the traveling pastors that would come through. Mm-hmm. So I slept in the laundry room of this house, <laughs> right? And I was like, oh. I'm the Lord's work. <laughs> um, and like, and like there was a rumor that like they had a slave and I'm like, that's ridiculous. They pay me and I speak English. <laughs> oh my God. Isn't it I horrible? feel so I just want to hug that 16 year old right now. Know, right. And it's like, I didn't know any better. You know, yeah. so many things were like, I didn't know any better. You know, looking back at things. So I'm trying to have a lot of grace for my younger self, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. You gotta forgive yourself. To- I'm trying to be matapag. <laughs> I'm trying these days. I'm trying so mm. hard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah Wait, like, where was that? When was this happening? Um, so it was in Oakhurst. Uh, uh, I don't necessarily want to say the dates because I'm an actress and like I I don't want people to necessarily know how old I am. No, you don't have. You know what I mean? Like you're Filipino. You could be 16 to like 50. You right, you never know. Right. So you know, but but it happened uh, when I was 16. Hmm. So you know, just deduce that. Like it's been nearly 20 years. You know, since this this has happened. So yeah. You know, like whatever. <laughs> No, where was dad? Did like did you try to reach out to him or he reached out to, to you? To dad? Your dad. Well, my dad. So my dad kind of left the picture when I was six, right? Hmm. And I would see him occasionally for the for the, you know, uh what is it? Those those interviews for the for the green card, right? Mm-hmm. Um but when he got remarried, I kinda like he forgot about me, you know, and his new wife didn't really like me, so because mm. what she said was that I reminded her of her children that she had left in the Philippines. So she treated me very badly. Yo. Yeah. Yeah. So So she left her kids in the Philippines yeah. to escape. I don't know, but this is this is the, the my dad's my dad's second wife, you know, so after oh. my mom. But, you know, like I don't know, there's so much like generational like I don't know why she had to leave her kids. Maybe it was for the same reason of trying to become more uh, like uh, economically mobile, right? Hmm. But for whatever reason, she didn't like six-year-old me, <laughs> you know, because I reminded her of the kids that she left in the Philippines. And oh. so whenever I came over to my dad's for visitation, um, I wasn't really treated very well there. It's probably guilt. But yeah, probably. Um, yeah. So where dad was in all of this. So in this, in this, where I was working for these, this couple in the woods, hmm. um, I, they, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to say that they married me off, but 
I was married to a person that that I knew, right? Who had, yeah, <laughs> it's very crazy. So there was a person that I knew that um, that I met in an after school program, and when I went to the Philippines, he and I would like write back and forth, right? He's Filipino. Part part Filipino. Okay. Right? I I think he's part Filipino. I think he is. Hmm. But um, you know, like he was the only one that kept in touch with me when I was going through all this like crazy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. With the, with the, with the, with like, and I didn't think that it was like crazy. I was just like, I'm just sharing my faith, right? So, so all of the friends that I had in the United States, like, you know, like understandably they went on with their lives. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is the only person that, that kind of like still kept in contact with me and was honestly, honestly, my lifeline, you know, Hmm. even as weird as it got, he was my lifeline. So, you know, um, when I was working in the woods with this couple, he would occasionally come up and visit. And they allow him. Yeah, they allowed him to come up and visit because he got into the whole church thing, right? And he became very close with them. Hmm. And so because it's like, you like because of the end time stuff they were very adamant about like not participating with government you know it's like so yeah i know see like it's crazy it's crazy i understand it's crazy i get it but like you know like in in it's i and, and it's funny because i only know that it's crazy when i see other people's reactions <laughs> because, because in my mind i was like yo this is what happened right mm-hmm. um but yeah like they he would he he because he became a believer they were like oh great you know and then they were like no you guys can get married right but and they they the the dude in the couple conducted the marriage ceremony right Hmm. i invited my friends from high school (laughs) who were still seniors (laughs) oh man and we didn't have any, and we didn't have any like money or anything like that. So like the the whole wedding story is like crazy too. Like that's like an even like crazy like crazy story. But getting back to my dad, getting back to my dad, my dad came for the ceremony, hmm. right? And he took pictures, and he the day after the ceremony, my mom said that he filed to like not have child support. Because I was still, like, I didn't know that I was getting child support. It was all going to my mom in the Philippines. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right? So, and and there was no paperwork that was filed because they were very against, like, any type of governmental overseeing because they believed that, that the government would persecute Christians in the end times. And that's why we were living in the woods. And that's why everybody was admonished to, like, live near the national forest just so that we can escape easier <laughs> into the woods. That's why we were learning like survival skills. That's why they had like grain storage. That's why they had like uh, all kinds of things. That's okay. why we were learning like survival. Yeah. 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 So that's where my dad was. And then like eventually, yeah. Uh Eventually, when something happened with this couple and the person that they had married me to... Wait, what happened to the couple? So, remember how I said that they, I was living in a house that they had rented for the brethren in the laundry room? Hmm. Right? 
So this person that they married me to and quote unquote married me to quit his job and moved up there and we started working together for this couple. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, we don't want to pay rent for this house anymore. So can you just live in our garage? (laughs) So we ended up moving underneath their like, like in their garage, basically their basement. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that we could hear what they were saying, Mm -hmm. you know, in this garage. And there was one day where I don't know what the person that I was quote unquote married to heard but it made him go we need to get out of here and he packed up all of our stuff into one car and we left i don't know what he he heard he never told you no and also like that that relationship was weird too because when we eventually did get on paper married like i found out that he was 17 years older than i was who yeah yeah but like was he nice to you though in the beginning, yes. It always starts out that way, right? <laughs> Honeymoon, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, like when, like, when, when, when we got quote unquote married, you know, like the, the, the thought in that group was women are subservient to their husbands and everything. So there was no questioning of anything. It was just like, okay. You know, I'm going to be in a good, obedient wife. Like, I remember the things that the the wife cup of that person used to tell me. is like, you know, and they used to dress like Mennonites. They used to, like, dress, like, super, like, you know. Yeah. Um, wow, this has gotten so far away from the immigrant life. <laughs> it's, up, it's about you. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, they, one of the things that she would tell me is she would, like, be, like, she would be, like, uh, yeah. I would make sure that his clothes are ironed so that no other lady looks at him. And I make sure that his towel is freshly something, something from the dryer every time he gets out of the shower. Right. So that's not how she talks. But you know, like, but this is the, the mindset. Like if you weren't that kind of wife, if you did not, you know, be a help meet for your husband, if you question him on a thing, then you weren't being you weren't being obedient to the doctrine of like the the guy being the head of the household, hmm. you know. So, like, whatever he said, like, I was like, okay, you know. Um, so, yeah, we left. And then because we didn't have a place to go, like, I, I called my dad. We stayed there for a couple of days. And that was in Sacramento. Um, we drove up from Oakhurst to Sacramento. And then my dad got drunk because I guess he couldn't deal with his 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 teenage daughter being in a relationship and a cult thing. Um <laughs> And we eventually found, uh, you know, a roommate situation with some more, some other brethren. Um, yeah. And then, like, fast forward, uh, I had a child with this man. And my child mm. is the light of my life and everything. But, um, and I've only learned this as, you know, as I've learned more about abusive relationships. It's like, there's something that happens to guys that are already have, like, prone to being violent or prone to being controlling like Mm. this, this, this church group totally fit in like what he wanted to be because women were completely subservient, you know? So it fed into his like controlling, like I I want things my way. Mm. And then when um, I had my child, 
there's something that happens where it's like it's more of like an ownership thing oh no now i got you you know like mm. now you have my child and you know like you are more like this right and and um and you started getting more violent and mm. uh yeah yeah so i felt like i felt like if it was just me like i could totally just deal with it because i am matapang in that way not like in like I, I will fight somebody way like matapang in like mm -hmm. inner strength way mm -hmm. um i'm trying to be matapang outer strength way but anyways I, I digress um it was when he started like being physical with my child where he was mm. like you know like uh, just and he was one my kid was one and he was like corporal punishment you know you shall use the belt on your child you know and I, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Hmm. So that was part of the reason why, you know, like I left that relationship and that was, that's like another story in itself, you know, but yeah, fast forward, uh, you know, my kid is doing awesome and I am <sighs> a filmmaker and I have no, I have no formal degrees in filmmaking or anything it's just like i when i was in the woods <laughs> this is this part of like oh, this part, part that i can say about like i used to try to talk to telemarketers because they're the only people that I would really talk to so i'd be like stay on the line you're my friend <laughs> <laughs> and uh i I just would try to talk to them and one of them said, you have a very interesting voice. You should get into voiceover. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Whatever, you know, whatever. Um, and also around this time, my ex quit his job because he said that I wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't know how to take care of our kid. Okay. Right. So he had to watch over me, which, you know, like, and I was like, how, how am I going to put food on the table? God, God will put food on the table. Exactly what he said. That is exactly <laughs> what he said. He's like, the Lord will provide. So I'm like, okay, I'm listening to you because you're my husband. Right? And then I, you know, like I talked to this telemarketer and they put the seed in my head about voiceover. So I was like, okay, what is voiceover? And this is like when the internet was just getting started. You know what I mean? Like this is, so I look it up and like, there's a there's an agency called Stars in San Francisco. That's the biggest one that I could find from the internet when I was just at this time, where it's like just voiceovers. So I did a, a really really bad recording, a really really bad one, and I followed the instructions on their website. And they ended up calling me in, and we drove four and a half hours from Grizzly Flats, which is where we had lived at the time, to San Francisco, and because he already quit his job, I didn't know what to do, right? I go into the interview for, for the stars agency, which I don't even know what I'm doing. And they end up signing me that day. No way. They sent me on my first audition that day. <laughs> it was for a video game. And I ended up booking it and working that day. And it was more money that in, a, in an hour that I had ever made. And so it was like confirmation, like the Lord will provide. <laughs> <laughs> so he went all crazy. Yeah, and I was and in, um, in, in, that, in, in that in in that mindset, I was I was totally like that too. You know, like I was like, oh yeah, the Lord did provide, and it's totally true. Like it's true. Like I can't deny it. 
I may not be in like the SDA religion or that home church anymore, but I don't hmm. deny that there is something wonderful that still like keeps an eye out for me. Right? Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you. How has your faith evolved after going through all those craziness? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So much like faith. Like I feel like you can't put God in a box, right? Like, and I don't even know if like God is a word that I could use because people have twisted it into so many like different weird like like what their what their own biases or perceptions are for it. Mm. So I like to call it like this infinite intelligence that like wants the best for us <laughs> what it is i don't think that it's like behoven I don't, that's not even a word i'm just making up words now like but i don't think it's like any one religion i feel like you know it, it's bigger than religion it's bigger than us but there mm. is like a guiding force that we can tap into i really strongly believe that there are so many other you know, coincidences and synchronicities that I can't deny that there has been a presence in my life. Mm -hmm. But whether it's Christian or Catholic or Hindu or Buddhist, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> you mm. know, like, like I want to see the beauty in every religion. You know, mm. like it, if, it, if it brings you closer to the divine or whatever, then that's good. That's good for you. As long as you're not harming anybody or telling other people what to think or how to live their lives, you go do what you, you know, you do you, you know, mm. like, but yeah. for me, as for me, like, I can't deny that there has been a presence in my life, you know? Mm, um, and I try to, I try to move accordingly, you know, and I've been very, very lucky and very like, uh, like even in times where I feel like, I don't know what's happening. I know that there is some kind of working behind the scenes that I just don't know, like, mm. what's, you know, what what it is I'm being protected from or what surprises there are in store. You know, I just mm. have to, like, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Like I said, I don't have a formal education, but I'm a member of the Producers Guild of America. I, you know, I I've worked on really great shows. I... I'm one of the top audition coaches in Hollywood. I mm. I mean, like, just yesterday, I can legitimately say that I've worked on an Academy Award-nominated film. You Congratulations. Know, like, thank you. Um, and so it's like, I don't know <laughs> what the future has in store for me, and I'm trying to just walk step by step, mm. and I know that I have some kind of guidance there. Beautiful. You know, like, that's how my faith is. I can't. You said you were a coach, but you were also an actor. And you said earlier that you were an ER. How did you become an actor? Um, so the voiceovers was one, right? Like the voiceovers that got me into stars that was like, this is a sign from God. <laughs> By the way, so, the name of the agency is Stars, which is God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right? Okay. Well, I, it's, it's a sign. Star is a sign of Jesus, right? Oh, yeah, that is true. I didn't realize that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I will take that. That's <laughs> awesome. I didn't even think about that. Holy crap. Okay. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. So from the voiceovers, and this is also part of like how I like left that relationship too, is like, oh, shoot. So he allowed me to do the voiceover work because it was honestly the only money that was coming in, right? Mm. So my agent said, you know, we'd like to submit you for on-camera stuff. And I was like, okay. And they had me join a class in San Francisco. 
And I remember in this class, like, like I had to, be, if I wasn't out downstairs, by the time the class was over, I would get in trouble with him because like, I couldn't, I couldn't socialize with anybody. He didn't, you know, like, and, and I'm, I was very much a different person then than I am now. Like I would just be like, I'm, I'm still quiet. I'm still an introvert, but like, I would, I'm very scared to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, I had mentioned that, that if like, I, I, I have to be downstairs, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble to somebody in class. And they were like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> you know, like, that's a weird thing. Cause they invited me out to like, go get, you know, like a Drink. coffee or something. Uh, yeah. Or something afterwards. And I was like, I can't, I can't. Right. And somebody from that class gave me a book called free yourself from abusive relationships. And I remember I had to hide it. But there was a checklist there and like every single thing on that checklist, except for two things, like I was in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, and then like the, the hitting of my kid was like the final straw. Yeah. And then I was, I remember trying to tell people in the church group about it, but then every time I would try to talk about it, like I would get shut down because I wasn't being a good wife. It was probably something that I did. You know, mm-hmm. so there wasn't anybody that I could talk to about that. Um, mm. So I ended up just, you know, leaving him uh, one day with my kid and I just took the car and I don't know, I don't remember where I drove off to, but I remember calling my mom and being like, I need help. Mm. So, and that's like when we started repairing our relationship, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so, man. They're so brave. Thank you. There's, I mean, like, mm, you know, there's, there's a lot of women in that situation today. That's why I started like, I got therapy, you know, I went to counseling. That's why I'm still trying to work on my self-esteem because it does, it rips, it rips a lot away from you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's one thing I learned last year, I believe was self-confidence and self-esteem are two different things. Yeah. I don't want to tell me, tell me what those things are. Cause maybe I don't know. So I self-confidence is like you, you're an actor. You can stand in front of a camera and act, right? You crush it, right? Sometimes. <laughs> you crush it. You're, you've been what? ER, Bones, uh, Gilmore yeah, Girls. You crush it. not for everything, but yeah. You know, like I am confident in that, you know, if I'm right for the role that I know how to, I know how to do it. I know how to like so you break even down said the it, script. Yeah. I'm confident, right? Yeah. Self-esteem is how you value yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We started this out talking about valuing yourself. Yeah. I need to have more self-esteem and I'm Mm. trying to value myself so I can teach my kid to value themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's so difficult, you know? Like it's (laughs) so difficult. You're telling me, homie. Yeah, like I'm, I'm like I, I, I'm, I, I try. You know, I read self help books all the time, but it's not like you need an experiential knowledge of it. Like mm. even if you read books about like how to become more confident or have more self esteem or value yourself more, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Do you, are you still in therapy? I, honestly, I don't have health insurance. So <laughs> health insurance is. Hey, I thought you're SAG. SAG. So SAG. They don't give you health insurance unless you make a minimum. Mm. You have to hit a minimum to even qualify for health insurance. Some people don't know that. So 
you know, like for right now, it makes more sense to pay 80 to $120 a doctor's visit than $450 a month. Oh, my God. For me. You know thank, what I mean? Thank God I'm in Canada. I know. Like, I'm like, how do I get into like a country <laughs> with health insurance? <laughs> you know? I mean, you can move to Vancouver. They have a movie industry there. So, and it's in Canada. I mean, like, if some production wants to sponsor me, I am so okay with that. You know, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not adverse to that. So, <laughs> so any production companies out there want to sponsor me in Vancouver so I can help with, have health insurance? That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Man. You said you're coaching. How did you get into coaching? So, uh, this acting class I was telling you about, um, the the owner of the acting school, because I was one of the first successful students from that acting mm. class like when i came there she, uh, this person started her management company and she had some kind of showcase with uh, la agents and i ended up being one of those that were signed to an la agent mm. and i booked er er was my first sag role and it was a recurring role like i am so lucky like like uh, i know that there's something that's like guiding guide some kind of guiding force because I, I understand how lucky I am and it was a recurring role on ER and mm -hmm. um and from that because like there's like you you have more cachet as an acting teacher if your students are working so she suggested hey why don't you teach you know mm -hmm. because I was the only like at that time I was like one of two people that had booked like a major show from her mm. class and both of us, she was like, you guys should teach. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I started teaching acting was through that. And then, um, you know, I worked with, I worked for her for a couple of years and then, you know, that, that situation soured because I wanted to teach on my own because I had a kid to provide for and I tried to make it so that I wasn't in the same area as her. Like I literally drove to Sacramento to teach and she mm. was in San Francisco, but it soured things between us because she felt very competitive. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, I started teaching on my own in I think, 2008 and a lot of my, because I look like this. A you lot of, beautiful. Oh, thank you. The whole month. Um, <laughs> But I look young, right? Hmm. And I, 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 this is back to like the Giovanni Espiritu thing. Like <laughs> if I was a dude, you know, like people would be like, oh yeah, they know what they're talking about. But because I look like this, like a lot of adult actors didn't trust that I knew what I was talking about, even though like I had, I had so much more credit than most of the acting teachers in the Bay Area. But because I look like this, they didn't trust that or they were very defensive or like, you know, like very like, like, I don't want to learn from her type of thing. But so I found my niche market with kids and teens. So once I just started marketing to kids and teens, they were booking everything, right? Like one of my first students, you know, she she got on Magpapailanman. Hmm. Uh, one of my other ones, uh, she was flown to L.A for a test read with Ben Stiller. This is like very early on, you know, like I, and then like just from there, like my students have been Emmy Award nominees. There've been series regulars, you know, like I I was a coach for Rosalie on um, Turning Red, like Pixar, like actually hired me as to be an on-call coach for her. No so way. That's how, yeah, so that's how like I'm, you know, like 
the whole turning red thing is like I I like I I can actually say that I worked on an Academy nominated film, you know? Yeah, you did. Um so it's like yeah, like I know that I I'm that's how I started teaching, but it's still hard to even with all these credits like at that time, you know, at that time my credits are more um but to start because because people didn't trust what I looked like. Mhm. Yeah. Even though you had ER? Yeah, even though I had ER. That's even crazy. Though, even though I had ER, even though I had been teaching at this other school, like weekly group classes for years, people still people still were like, oh, why am I in her class? I remember I taught at the SAG after a conservatory sitcom. Like, and I'd been teaching there for three years. Hmm. And I don't really like, like, because of the name thing, I don't really like to announce who I am until I get there. Like, I, I will sit there in the class and I will watch all the students coming in, coming in and like be very friendly. And then when it's time for class to start, I'll be like, hi, guys. <laughs> you know, <I'll> be like, <laughs> like, and like, literally, there was one dude that was like, oh, you're the teacher? No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and after the class, and he was very resistant, very, very resistant the whole time, like, you know, as I was mm. teaching. Um, and then after, cl- after the class, he said it was like one of the best classes he's ever taken. But mm. I, I run into that prejudice, that bias so often, you know? So oh, definitely. How do you handle difficult students? Um, I usually don't. Like, I'm like, I'm the type of teacher, I'm like, where I that's why I don't I don't teach for other people anymore <laughs> you know like if I I really want the people that work with me to want to work with me that's really mm-hmm. important if they don't want to work with me or they feel like I'm not qualified then you should go find somebody else you know uh, like, yeah definitely uh, you know what I mean like I I'm, I'm not here to convince you of my what of my value I'm not here to convince you of my value <laughs> <laughs> that is so crazy it's like it's like you played for the NBA and you're trying to teach these kids basketball and they're like, you're not good enough. Yeah. She went to the NBA. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like if I can't like, I, and, and I realized that it's like I, for so many years, I was trying to squish my way into like a little space in the table, you know, like trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And like now I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. Like maybe it's more energy conserving to build my own table. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why to, you started creating film yeah yeah that's why it's like it's because and like thank goodness there are more films that feature asian americans you know mm-hmm. or you know but it's still there's still a lot of intersection there too like because a, a lot of the time being filipino i wasn't asian enough for a lot of roles like because they're looking for chinese or like japanese or more like east asian right i, I was mean, too like brown. light-skinned yeah, I was too brown. You know what I mean? And I wasn't... This so, is Asian. This is what exactly. we look like. This is what we look like, right? But, and then also the fact that there's not a lot of stories that specifically say Filipino or specifically, you know, because if it's Asian, if it's written for an Asian person, it will generally go to, you know, somebody that's more, I would say, like, more, uh, yeah, lighter skinned Asian, I would, would say, yeah. you know? And things That's are changing. so crazy, yeah. And, but it's still, it's still like when, you know, when I first started in the business in, in ER, the reason why I got that role is partially because 
I could speak Tagalog, you know, mm. and a lot of nurses are Filipino and they're like, oh, let's put one Filipino on there so that we could say that we're, you know, like whatever, right? And I'm very grateful to that production. I'm very grateful to John Wells' production and very grateful to uh, to the company that cast me, to uh, in, um, Sarah Isaacson, who actually brought me in. But um, but yeah, like it's still like the the roles for Filipinos or even Filipinos that look like me were still few and far between. You know, you are correct because crazy rich Asians, they're mm -hmm. all light skinned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, I don't know if you don't have to put in your opinion about crazy rich Asians. That movie was an OK movie. <laughs> it was good representation. You know what I mean? Like, I am glad that it was made because it opens up the doors for other Asian movies to be made. Because now there's something that that the Hollywood industry can look at and be like, oh, look, it, it was financially successful. Hmm. You know, let's create more. Because a lot of the times, um. you know, the industry is very like, we're not going to tell stories about people of color because, you know, the audiences won't like it and we can't sell it. And this is a business, right? That is so, so stupid because you know how many Asians are there in the world? Yeah, we are people of the global majority, which I think like when when I heard, I don't know, remember who said that, but somebody said that in the last two years and that changed my perspective on myself. I was like, oh, we are people of the global majority. Why? There's a lot of like, you know, um honoring european culture right but actually we're the majority you know like and i'm just starting to shift my brain around that mm -hmm. and even though philippines are a subsect of asian it's still like it, like if we can support asian stories being told then that means that more filipino stories are going to be told too mm -hmm. and i'm so like happy about the fact that dolly delian it got a lot of press for her for her triangle of sadness movie mm -hmm. i wish that she was still recommended I, I i wish that she was nominated for the oscars because that would have been great for representation mm -hmm. but i do i do love um i do love everything everywhere all at once so i'm yeah. happy about those nominations you know what i mean like um but like we just need more asian american content more filipino content more content made with brown asians and uh people of different you know as, as they say mud asians <laughs> yeah mud asians and also like we need more diversity in body types too so oh yeah definitely for me it's like can you act yes or no i mean yes but also like when you get into like the levels of like production they're like oh but will audiences really want to watch this person you know mm. so. it, but it, it's crazy because you know once in a while you'll see like a a a, a movie that is an uh, indie movie and it'll be like one, I don't know, um, a Native American person, and it'll be a hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, I mean, like, you think about like the, the whole like Wakanda Forever thing, like uh, the Black Panther thing. Mm -hmm. That was, that was fairly recent. What, in the last five years? Mm -hmm. Right? Another okay movie, by the way. But it was great for the representation, right? Yes, yes, yes. And to show that... And I do agree with you because, you know, like, I, like, I think I, I like story wise, I think the Black Panther could have just had a little bit more. But anyways, anyways, <laughs> I am thankful that it was made and I like I, I liked a lot of it, but it was amazing for the representation for the black community. Right. Mm. It was like the first time that they were like, wow, you know, there are so many of us on a poster <laughs> you know, like, and it made great money, you know. 
mm-hmm. which is which is helpful for you know the people of color in the industry. Like mm-hmm. once like the powers that be see that there's money that can be made in certain communities, then they invest more in that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Let's talk about your movie Legacy. What made you think of doing making it? Okay, so honestly, Legacy was a last minute submission to a contest. Like I had been supporting my friend at this festival called Outfest Fusion, uh, where you know one of my students actually had a film there, and I was like, oh, I, you know, they had this contest where it's like you know the deadlines on Monday, and I was like, okay, cool. And usually I will enter something. But this particular one, I didn't really have anything to enter. But then that evening before the the contest, like cutoff time was, I woke up with a poem in my head. Mm. And it was it's a it's it's a one minute contest. So like I was like, got up at six o'clock in the morning and was like just putting pictures and did like a voiceover to it. And I just entered it, you know, because I it was about like you know, the friends in that community and also like how far I've come, you know, how far mm. my family has come. And it ended up winning the Hyundai Evolve Innovation Award. Congratulations. Which I Thank you. And so I'm entering it into other festivals because of that. And then it got, uh, it got added to uh, the Out Museum online. And then it's going to be playing at the New American Museum next week. So that's that film. That's I do have another film that I'm working on called Love and Karma which is actually a Filipino film, um, hmm. but we're, it's in, it's in crazy development right now. Like things in development are like ridiculous because, because it, it stops and starts all the time. And one of the things that I'm having an issue with, with this particular film is it takes place in the United States, Indonesia and Cebu, right? Hmm. And the people that are not Filipino, like on the production team, don't understand that Indonesia and the Philippines are two different places. <laughs> so that's like what I'm running Wait, into. Wait, what now. do you mean? Are like brown people living there? So it, for, for sure, same country. Exactly. And, and like, like they don't know. Sometimes they'll be like, let's go. We'll, we'll find a location in the J- Japan town. I'm like, Japan town is not anything like the Philippines. You, <laughs> know? you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, so like, Like the, the the thing that I'm finding with this film is like educating people that there are all different kinds of Asians and eight just because they're Asian doesn't mean that we're all like all one conglomerate, you know, but it's, it's a hard battle because it's like, <sighs> these are people that, you know, are like, you, like your, your place on the totem pole is very like, Yeah. So, so you have to be kind of careful about like what you say and how you tackle things because mm. I can't just come in there and be like, How you don't understand that all Asian people aren't alike? You know, mm. how come you don't understand that there's two different languages? And even in the Philippines, there are like over 87 different languages. You know, we, mm-hmm. you know, like Italians are not the same as Irish people. It's not the same as like, you know, Danish people. There are yeah. differences in culture. I'm not going to lump all you with they people together. <laughs> yeah, the worst, the worst part is they're not creative and they're telling the creative person to be creative. Yeah, well, or or just, you know, just there's just like a little bit of ignorance that's happening there. Or the, But the thing that gets me is that it's, it's like they almost don't care, you know? Hmm. They don't care to get it right because, again, it's the value. It's like, what are you worth, you know? 
Definitely. Listen, I think we're there. But before we close out, do you yeah. have any advice to aspiring actors or young girls that are trying to reach their goals? Um, uh, so aspiring actors, uh, try not to give your power away, but also know where you fit into the industry, like the clear picture that you have of at first what what people see you as it'll help you get your foot in the door like for example you know like i had like these if if i if i had headshots that look like you know like a very like like beautiful girl beautiful girlfriend girl right like that's not going to serve me because i'm like a weirdo like like i'm a plain kind of faced weirdo the the roles that i generally get are like the weird girls like the nurses the kind of like you know, Mahin Han, you know, whatever. And there are there are women out there that are in the industry that will like their essence is like that oozing, like you know, what is that lady's name? Uh, my my brain goes to like Veronica Rabbit, but I know that's not her name. Mm. <laughs> what is her name? Like the basically like a sex pot, you know, like they mm. they 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 have that essence. If I had marketing material that did that, that would not help me, you know, and I would waste a lot of time. So knowing your place in the industry and also try not to give your value to other people because, yeah, there are project directors and producers. They create toxic environments and you, know, you need to learn how to navigate those without giving your power away. But also be, you know, a team player, which is really, really difficult. I would say, like, try to find the, the people that you really gel with and like to work with. And if there's anything else that you can do that you would be happy doing, do it. But if this is your love, then yeah, pursue it. You know what I mean? <laughs> because I think acting when done rightly creates empathy. Um, but it is a very, very tough business. For mm. women or young girls that are pursuing their goals, I would say, you know, find the joy in it. Find the joy in like what you want to do because that will sustain you. Like if you can find the reason why that this you are so passionate about something, no matter what, um, is thrown at you that the why will help you persevere hmm. yeah wise word from a wise woman again Gio thank you so much for coming on the podcast I really do appreciate it thank you for having me <laughs> have a good evening okay thank you bye bye again Gio thank you for coming on the podcast I really do appreciate it thank you listeners for listening this is Erin Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life I'll see you guys later.